And here we get the scene where Isabella is trying to tease Catherine about how she is practically engaged to John Thorpe. And Catherine is mortified that this has happened. And I think it plays off very nicely where they're taking these this conversation, again, almost directly from the book, where we're thinking back to that scene when Mr. Thorpe took his leave and said these things that to him were practically asking her to marry him and to her meant nothing at all. And so he has apparently written to Isabella saying that he's practically engaged to Catherine Moreland and Catherine is all upset. No, 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 it didn't happen. No, you have to, you have to let him know that that's not what I meant. And he didn't ask me to marry him and I didn't agree. And she's very upset by it. And then we get this thing where Isabella's like, well, I suppose we're all entitled to some harmless flirtation and we can all change our minds. And again, it's going straight over Isabella's or Catherine's head what this conversation is actually about. But I think it's very clear that she's having second thoughts about the whole being engaged to James thing now that she knows that he's not getting the kind of money she thought he was going to get. He's not rich enough for her, even though she protests that she's not into the money. And that's not what's important to her. I think it's very clear that it is important to her, at least in some respects. And so she is... Now, you know, foreshadowing the fact that she's over James, even though she won't, won't come out and specifically say it. And then, of course, we have the re-entrance of Captain Tilney. And we have the somewhat romantic scene that is, again, stolen directly from the book and put on screen in a way that I think is pretty perfect where Captain Tilney comes up and says that, you know, Isabella's being watched by proxy because her, you know, fiancé's sister is there watching her to make sure she's got good behavior is the implication. And then Isabella's like, oh, nonsense, I'm independent. I've got an independent spirit. And he says, I wish you had an independent heart. And I suppose I don't have to go through the whole conversation. Uh, I've already talked about it in the book. And it's the exact same conversation. But it is so good. So well written. And mortifies Catherine to no end. And this whole thing is played off. The flirtation between Isabella and Captain Tilney is just off the charts. To the point where Catherine, naive little Catherine, even gets it. So they're not being subtle at all. <laughs> And then Catherine tries to give Isabella an excuse to leave, which right before Captain Tilney showed up, Isabella was saying she didn't want to see him and she wanted him to move along and stop bothering her. And this is where Isabella proves that she's lying through her teeth. And I think even Catherine can figure out that she is lying because she doesn't want to leave with Catherine and does you know, walk off on the arm of Captain Tilney. And so now Catherine is even more worried about this whole situation, which is just completely beyond her ken. She does not, she doesn't understand people who lie and who say one thing mean another the way that Isabella does. And it's very heartbreaking for her. Poor Catherine.
And then we move directly on to the carriage is coming to pick Catherine up because she is off to Northanger Abbey with the Tilneys. Well, except for Captain Tilney, who is obviously not going with them, which is going to upset Catherine. Poor Catherine. Now, the difference here is that this scene in the novel, Catherine goes over to the Tilney's lodgings to have breakfast with them before they all go, versus here where they all come in their carriages, presumably after having eaten breakfast on their own, to pick her up on their way out of town. Not a huge difference. Again, I'll allow it. And here we get kind of our first time where we see the bad humor of General Tilney, where he's kind of, where he's very upset and kind of yelling about how they're four minutes late um, to come pick Catherine up, but that's outside of Catherine's hearing and sight, so she doesn't see that part. And then he invites her to go and ride with Mr. Tilney in his open carriage for the drive, which is the exact same thing that happens in the 86 version where they skip the fact that there's a two-part journey where the first part she rides with Miss Tilney in the closed carriage and the second half she switches spots with the general to ride with Mr. Tilney in the open carriage. Um, but that's one of those things that happens in an adaptation to save time that, again, I'll allow. And in the curricle is when they have a little conversation which in the book takes place in the ballroom back at that original ball where Captain Tilney dances with Isabella about how she's worried about them together and Mr. Tilney kind of gives her a little bit of assurance. It's not quite the exact same conversation, but it's very similar. Only this time she's worried about him staying on in Bath, which I think they do have in the curricle. So maybe it's not that conversation. They do have a conversation in the curricle about him staying behind Captain Tilney being in Bath, but not for very long, so not to worry about it too much. But poor Catherine is definitely worried. And then they see Northanger Abbey, which is again a big old scary building. Looks like a big medieval castle to me. And we have the very cute thing that I enjoy from the, from the book where... Henry Tilney is giving her, giving Catherine a, like, rundown of haunted things in the Abbey and how scary it is. The diff it is not the, it's not the same conversation that Jane Austen wrote, but I think it is modernized to be what we would, I guess, more understand as horror tropes of ghosts and sliding panels and hidden rooms and things. Versus what he says in the book to Catherine is, I think, very specific to the time period and, like, and Radcliffe specifically and what's in her book or in her books that, you know, most people today probably haven't read. So instead they're talking about ghosts and vampires and things that a modern audience would more, I suppose, understand. So it still works in this conversation, I think, but it's not quite the story that Mr. Tilney gives Catherine in the book. And again, we get a good view of Northanger Abbey as we're driving up, which in the book she very specifically does not have because it's raining. But I guess cinematically, 
it kind of makes sense to do it in a movie version to give a nice view of the house so you see what we're looking what we're working with in a way that Catherine does not in the book um, but she does get a view of it later and she does find it to be rather impressive so it's okay that it's impressive to start with instead I suppose and going into the abbey we get a brief view of like the entrance hall with some foreboding music around the general before she goes up to her room to get ready for dinner and she's kind of looking around and I will say that comparing the inside of this house to what they portrayed in the 86 version this 2007 version I think is much closer to more what I was envisioning it looks more I want to use the word modern but it's not modern like to today's modern but more like modern to 1813 modern Meaning that it doesn't look like medieval. It doesn't, it's not like the inside of the stone castle that the 86 version used. This more looks like a, you know, Georgian style home. It looks more in place than what I've seen in other Austin novels and not quite so medieval. Which is exactly what I would be more expecting as the, from the description from the book. So I'm happy to see that. And then, of course, Miss Moreland does exactly what she does in the book, where Miss Tilney has asked her to please hurry up and get dressed because the general is very precise about mealtimes and you have to be down right on time. We don't have much time to get dressed. And Miss Moreland's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And then instead of getting dressed, wanders around the room and looks inside of furniture because she just can't help herself. And we see the general pacing and being altogether upset that, you know, Catherine is running late to dinner, but they make it down. They come running down very quickly as soon as they are dressed. Miss Tilney guiding Catherine, which is exactly what happened in the in the book. So that's good. And they come in to dinner and there's some of that foreboding music again, which, you know, something's up with the general. Um, and there's a cute little moment where Catherine doesn't know what spoon to use <laughs> for the soup course. And Miss Tilney across, you know, taps the spoon. That's the correct spoon to be using. So that, I think, is a little sweet moment between the two of them. I like it. And then we rush off into the general's speech about the house. And he's talking about how he assumes that Mr. Allen's dining room must be much larger than his. And Catherine's like, no, it's about half the size of this room. And it's, you know, showing that the general is pointing out to us, foreshadowing, I think, again, that the general thinks Catherine is a lot richer than she actually is. Um... It's showing his mistake in that and also showing that she's not pretending to be rich by putting on airs or lying or anything. She's taking everything at face value and not reading between the lines or understanding what kind of is underneath what the general is saying. And we get a cute little flirty smile between Catherine and Henry at the table, which I'm always here for. Then she goes up to dinner, after dinner she goes up to her room and there's the big storm that is directly from the book that they're having and they're having this thunder and lightning storm and she's wandering around her large room with her single candle, very gothic with lots of shadows and things. And she decides to explore a little. 
there's mysterious music playing, and she finds some papers in the bottom of the old chest, and then wind blows through the window and blows out her candle, and she, in fear, jumps into her bed to go to sleep. And other than the fact that the wind came to blow out her candle instead of her cutting the wick too short, I think it's pretty much exactly... Well, except for she didn't find it in the trunk. In the book, she found it in another... She looked at the trunk earlier and found, like, sheets in it. And then she found the paper in, like, a another cabinet thing later. But very, very close to the book. And a nice, like, jump scare sort of feel to the scene. I like it. In the morning, the maid comes and wakes her up. Sees the papers on the ground and is going to pick them up. And Catherine tells her to leave them. And so she does, and they are just old washing receipts, laundry receipts, just like in the book, and not like that kind of odd twist thing they did in the 86 version where they were actually like notes between Miss Tilney and her secret, um, I don't know, her secret lover that she couldn't marry because he wasn't rich enough who was staying at the house for some reason. Anyway, so this is back to what the book actually did, where they're just random leftover pieces of paper. And here in this adaptation, again, we kind of skip the whole tour of the house, tour of the gardens thing that's in the book, with the general showing Catherine around, and instead she's just on a walk with Miss Tilney, and they talk a little bit about her mother and how she died so suddenly and how sad it is and you know that conversation is something that's directly kind of from the book and then Catherine asks to see her mother's picture which in the book she gets to see because the picture's in Miss Tilney's room but here they've put her portrait in the mother's old rooms and so they're going to go see her portrait there. But um, and this and this they're also making it more explicit that you're not allowed to go into her mother's apartments, that they are like banned or restricted or something where in the book, it's more just the general doesn't seem to want you there, but there's never any specific you are not allowed there. And here Miss Tilney says that you're not allowed to go in that room. It's the general's orders. So they've made it a little more explicit than the book. But a little same kind of feeling where you're not allowed to be there. And then they're going into the room and same thing that happens in the book. The general interrupts and in the book it's more that he is just calling for Miss Tilney to come do something as the manager of the house. Whereas in this adaptation it's again more explicitly... He sees them going somewhere he doesn't want them to go and says, no, you cannot go there. And the way they have the general just kind of show up and creepily look down at them from like an upper landing gives him a very yeah, villain vibe, which is the right vibe for the general. So kudos. And then we've got a scene of her, of Catherine writing a letter to Isabella in Bath um, which we know that Catherine wrote Isabella letters, but I don't think we actually saw what was in them. So this is a little different. We get to see that 
Catherine is writing to Isabella and saying that she thinks there's some horrible secret about Mrs. Tilney and Mrs. Tilney's death, which, again, is a little bit more explicit out there and explained in a way that in the book it's more in Catherine's head and kind of not quite so specifically talked about. So I'm wondering if they just think that it would be... It's too confusing if they don't bring it out more clearly. But either way, they're being a little bit more explicit about Catherine having these doubts and fears about Mrs. Tilney's death. But then, happy day, the general has to go to London. And so this has just kind of sped the timeline up a bit again where I think Catherine has been at the house for three weeks or something by the time the general leaves, maybe even four weeks. And instead, in this version, it seems like she's been there a couple days. And we also don't see Mr. Tilney coming and going from his own house. Um, and instead seems to just be at the Abbey this whole time. But that also makes sense because they've only been there like a day or two before the general's leaving, so... It's just speeding things up much quicker. I suppose you could assume that time is passing, but we're not seeing that passage of time that days are passing. It feels very quick that they've only been there a couple days and now the general's leaving um, versus the book where you definitely see that time is passing in, the, in more of a way. Um, so as far as timing goes, I suppose that makes sense for the movie and not wanting to spend too much time on just making sure you know time passes but I feel like there's a way they could have done something to encourage you to think that it's been a couple weeks instead of a couple days before the general leaves which makes more sense of the story in my opinion but either way the general has gone and leaving Mr. Miss Tilney and Catherine to just enjoy themselves at the abbey and Things right away are much lighter while he's gone. Even the music is much lighter now. It's not the creepy music anymore. It's a very bouncy little air. And they go out and Henry Tilney climbs a tree and is throwing and picking apples for them. So it's automatically lots of fun. I don't remember them picking apples in the, mo in the book, but I think it portrays the fact that they are playing games and just having a good time as soon as the general's out of the abbey, which is directly from the book. And that evening, Henry is able to offer to show her to Woodston, his vicarage, his home um, outside of the abbey, and Catherine agrees to go with him, and this is again different from the novel where the general sets that whole thing up, and they go for a very extensive dinner at the at the vicarage at Woodston. And here they just go see the outside on horseback. They don't seem to like go in and tour the house, which they do in the book. So we've lost both of the house tours. So in the book, she tours Northanger Abbey and she also tours Woodston. And we get like not huge descriptions, but brief descriptions of both houses. And here we are losing both of those tours of the house, which, you know, is not the end of the world. Again, it's one of those things where it's, for time's sake, I think, not the worst thing they could have cut. And it's cute that they are on horseback going to go see Woodston. I'm glad they at least kept the fact that she got to see his house in the movie. 
And in this edition, where they're out on horseback seeing the seeing Woodston, they it starts to rain, so they're riding back in the rain and the mud. It's a very pretty scene to see them riding in the mud. Although Catherine's wearing a really thin white dress, so that doesn't seem appropriate to get all wet in the rain in, and it doesn't look like a an appropriate like riding habit. So I'm a little confused by the dress she's wearing. Doesn't seem quite appropriate to me, but not an expert on period dress, so maybe I'm wrong, but I just, it doesn't look like the dresses I feel like I see people wearing in period pieces riding horses, so it's a little off for me, especially just having a pure white dress like that to ride a horse seems odd, especially when it starts to rain, that seems wrong, and the, then they're riding back in the mud, and somehow, again, on this pure white dress, no mud, but there's mud just perfectly spattered on her face, it's just... If you wanted them to get muddy and have mud all over her, she should have had some mud on that white dress. It just doesn't add up to me that she somehow only got mud on her face and not on her clothes at all. It takes me out of the moment. Ruin spoils the realisticness of it a little bit for me. But it is a very cute little scene that they've added here. I've already said I love little extra flirty scenes between Catherine and Henry, so I'm all for that. But the fact she only has mud on her face and didn't get any mud on her dress, not buying it. And then we have another kind of added on scene where they're out walking and talking about the secrets of the house and how if all of the children, all three of the general's children are supposed to marry for money. How Frederick is happy enough sowing his wild oats, but he's going to have to make an advantageous match soon. How Miss Tilney Eleanor is in love with a man who's a second son. That's the man that they met earlier. And how she's not allowed to marry him because she's supposed to marry the heir, not the second son. And how he's supposed to marry, want, marry a fortune as well. And they have a little conversation about... Uh, where Catherine's basically saying, well, what happens if you fall in love with a girl who doesn't have a fortune? And he says that that would test his fortitude. And then he ends the walk pretty abruptly after that and heads off to Woodston. So that's not a conversation that's in the book, I believe, but it is similar-ish to some various conversations they have about things going on, but they're mostly involving Frederick and whether or not he'd marry Isabella, which... We haven't gotten to the point where that marriage, where the marriage between Isabella and James is broken off yet to be able to talk about it. So instead we're having this more, again, I think more explicit or more blatant conversation about the marriage between Henry and Catherine in a way that we didn't in the book because it's more framed around being about Frederick or Captain Tilney and Isabella as opposed to being about Henry Tilney and Catherine um, but we get some of the same points made about the general requiring them to marry for money and is, and Catherine being a little surprised by that because that's not what the general said to her. Um, but it's another point where Catherine is believing the things that the general says uh, at face value and not reading deeper into it the way his children do and know that what he says is not really what he means. But either way, the conversation happens. It's a little bit more blatant, uh, blatantly about the relationship between Catherine and Henry. And then Henry Tilney rides off to go to Woodston. He says he'll be back for dinner the next day. 
and then we see Catherine creeping through the house to go look at Mrs. Tilney's room. And it's a very light and pretty room with her portrait hanging, but there's lots of dust, so obviously the servants aren't coming in and cleaning this room. And suddenly, as she's going around with the dramatic music behind her, Henry Tilney walks through, walks up the stairs and through the door. And they have their big confrontation from the book where Catherine admits that she's been suspecting General Tilney of possibly murdering his wife. And Henry sets her right. Um, they don't use the exact language from the book. And again, I think that they are a little bit more... They're a little less subtle in the language used. They make it a little more blatant exactly what's being spoken of. Um, a little bit less roundabout. And then Henry leaves and rides off. So I'm unsure of the exact timeline here. Because in the book, what happens is Catherine goes in before she thinks Henry, like the day before Henry's supposed to come back, I believe. So she doesn't think he's in the house. And that's part of why she goes then. Um, but then he comes back early to see them all. Versus this time, he's leaving. He's already said goodbye, but then for some reason he comes back up the stairs, sees her, talks to her, and then ride, and then goes back down and rides out again. Or rides out. So, I don't know. That's a little... The timeline's a little funky here, where he sees her right before he's leaving the house. And for some reason he comes up there to see her right before he leaves already in like his great coat and his outdoor clothes and whatnot. So a little odd that it feels like he left and then he's for some reason came back and then he left again. I feel like they messed up the timeline a little bit there or I'm not quite getting it because he's yeah. Cause he writes off and says, goodbye. I'm about to go. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow for dinner. And then he comes back. So is this the next day that he came back for dinner and he's so mad at her? He's riding off again. Because you see him through the window, like, riding away on his horse. So I'm a little confused by the timeline of how they're fitting this in. If he, like, came back and then left right away because he's so mad at her over this. Or if it's the same day and he said, goodbye, I'm going, I'll see you tomorrow for dinner. And then for some reason came back, talked to her, and then rode off again. <clears throat> so the scene itself, I think, worked really well, even though they changed much of the language of it. But I'm a little confused on the timeline of what's happening here. Either way, Catherine is watching him right away and crying and very upset for what she said and told him, which is exactly from what's in the book, where she's very upset that she has said something so silly and Henry knows it and she thinks that he will never love her now. And so we're seeing her cry. It's very sad. Poor little Catherine. And then again, timeline unclear, is that the same day or maybe the next day, we see her still crying and wandering out into the garden before Miss Tilney comes with a letter. And this again sort of messes with the timeline. I, th I think she should have gotten the letter earlier, if I'm remembering correctly. But for sure the letter should have come from Henry. Henry gives her the letter at breakfast one day, not Miss Tilney bringing it out to the garden. And she's not already upset when she gets the letter. She's happy to get the letter and then becomes upset because she reads the letter. So it's messing with her emotions a little bit as well. 
And similarly to the uh, 86 ad adaption, I think that they're also trying to dramatize how upset she is after this a little bit more in that in the book, she's very upset when this scene takes place, but Henry is still in the house afterwards and makes it very clear that he forgives her pretty much immediately. So she gets over it right away versus this where he has ridden off and now he's not there to comfort her or let her know that he's okay with what happened and her conjectures about her father, about his father. So that changes the dynamic between them a little bit as well. And sort of, I guess, adds to the stakes of it because she's now crying to his sister that, you know, Henry will never love her again or never respect her after what she does. She said he's going to hate her. And that's not something that comes up to Miss Tilney in the book at all because she very soon after, you know, sees Henry at dinner and he makes it very clear that things are all good between them. And so don't have to worry about it for the same amount of time, even though she's very upset when it first happens, versus this seems like it's dragging on a little bit more. And especially because Henry's not there to make her feel better. But then she gets the letter from James and she's getting it from Miss Tilney. And so we get the reading of the letter with Miss Tilney right away which is not how it happens in the book. She gets the letter from Henry. She gets very upset. Um, and then she explains it to both of them together instead of just to Miss Tilney. And they both are surprised about the fact that, or the idea that Captain Tilney could be engaged to Isabella. Um, Cause the letter is obviously the one saying that James and Isabella's engagement is off and that he expects her to marry Frederick instead. And Miss Tilney doesn't believe that that's going to happen. And in the book, it's both Miss Tilney and Mr. Tilney don't believe that that marriage is actually going to take place. And then we get an extra scene that is definitely not from the book, which shows Isabella and Captain Tilney sneaking away from a party and engaging in sexual activity. Well, we see them and the aftermath, and they make it very clear that that is what has happened, that he seduced her, and uh, she asks if they are engaged, and he just tells her to get dressed. He's got to take her back before she's missed, which is, ouch, very painful, and makes... Certain something that maybe is implied in the book. It's definitely for sure that she flirts with Captain Tilney, that she is, that Isabella is convinced that Captain Tilney is going to marry her, and which is why she drops the engagement with James. But I don't, it's not blatantly said that he seduced her into thinking that, like, Again, am I just a prude even the, like to have that be blatantly laid out that that happened between them and that's why the engagement was there. Though there is a line in the book about how, you know, Isabella wouldn't have broken off the engagement with James if she wasn't secure of Frederick. So maybe that's, I think it's implied in the book that a seduction could have happened but here we've got a scene that blatantly just 
lays it out for us that that is what happened here. And the look in Isabella's eyes when she realizes the actress really does make me sympathize for her in a way that I don't really in the book. Um, because it's made very clear that Captain Tilney played her, which he definitely did in the book as well. But again, it's a little more blatant, a little more in your face what the play was and how much it hurts Isabella. So, uh, that's sad. And then we see her writing her second letter to Catherine about how, you know, something weird happened with James and she needs Catherine's help to make things right with him. And, uh, yeah, poor Isabella. But Catherine does not have quite that same sympathy. And she gets the letter and quite rightly, is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell my brother to get back with you. Uh, no, thank you. Which is the correct thing to do. It's what she should be doing. Um, but, yeah, this interpretation did give me, and this actress specifically, did give me a little bit more sympathy for Isabella. I think just seeing it happen versus hearing about it in the abstract makes it a little different for me and I feel a little bit bad for her but I still don't think that James should take her back after that so I don't know but it feels a little sad but I agree with Catherine that she needs to basically be done and break it off and again we're kind of giving some of the time that she would have spent with Henry talking about his brother and the situation instead he's she's talking to Miss Tilney because Henry's still gone now so I think that makes the timeline, that changes the timeline. So this all happened in like one day. So she got the letter. So I'm, I'm again confused about the timeline. So in the movie timeline, we've got Henry saying goodbye and saying he'll be back for dinner tomorrow and leaving. Then Catherine sneaks into the mother's room and they have their argument. And then he rides off on his horse again. I'm thinking because then he's gone for the for the next little bit of chunk that that is that same day where he was going to go be gone for a day. So he's still gone and it's we haven't seen night happen yet. So it's I think he rode out somehow came back and then rode out again on the same day. And then she's out crying later that afternoon in the in the in the garden and gets the letter from her brother. And then later that day somehow also gets a letter from Isabella at the same day. And they're still out walking in the garden and talking about it. Because then we get dark for the first time as the general comes home and Henry is still not there. And he said he was only going to be gone one night. So I'm assuming that he would be back for dinner the next day. So unless he ha because of the fight he's staying away longer, which I feel like somebody would have mentioned if he was going to stay away longer because of the fight. I feel like that would have been brought up. So since nobody's mentioning that he's staying away more than longer than was expected, I'm thinking that this night when the general comes back is still the same night or like that same day that Henry left, came back, fought, left again. Then she got James letter. Then she got Isabella's letter. And then the general came home all in the same day. <laughs> so this timeline is a little, a little too condensed for me. It's a little confusing. 
And then the general has come back and he's sending her away. And they make it even worse in this case because they're sending her home in the middle of the night and he, she's not even allowed to stay until the morning, which in the books they at least let her stay till the morning to head off and travel all day. But here she's supposed to travel throughout the night, um, which is even worse. And she's going to travel alone. And now it's kind of the point of why they didn't allow Henry to still be there and like make up with her before, which he does immediately in the book after their fight, they make up like that night still. So it's only like a couple hours later and she feels much better. So instead they're turning it into Catherine thinks that the general is sending her away because she thought he murdered his wife and Henry told the general that and the general was so upset or that Henry was so mad at her about having thought that, that he told the general. And now the general came home in a roaring rage about it from London and is sending her on her way because of it. So she thinks that she deserves it because she's getting it. She's being sent away because uh, she imagined that the general might have murdered his wife. Which is adding a little spin to it. Because in the book I don't think she has any clue why she's being sent away. She doesn't get it. So here she's got a reason that she thinks she's being sent away for, which is not the actual reason. I'm sure we'll find out that the, what the actual reason is in the, in the movie. Um, but right now, Catherine thinks she's being sent away in the middle of the night because, because Henry told his father that Catherine thought the general killed his wife. Oh, poor Catherine really must, yeah, must be feeling really bad about that. And the other difference is that Miss Tilney, Eleanor Tilney, says she does know the reason why she's being sent away, um, which in the book she doesn't know what it is, or she doesn't know yet, at least, when they're sending Catherine off. So, again, sort of condensing things, having her go in the middle of the night instead of the next morning. So there's the one scene instead of two scenes between Catherine and Eleanor. So that's a piece of this, of kind of shortening it. But I don't like that Catherine feels guilty about what she was thinking about the general and or like is thinking that she's being sent away because of that and is feeling like it's her own fault. I feel like that's kind of sad. I'm not, I'm not particularly happy about that interpretation of this. And she is dropped off at a little village nearby, apparently. It's on the post line, I guess. Um, so she's just standing in the road with her, with her box um, of clothes and waiting in the middle of the night on the street. And some shady characters walk by and she's scared. And poor Catherine. And here she ends up in a public carriage, like the post carriage, the one carrying the mail with a bunch of other people. And that's not how I pictured it in the book. And maybe I'm wrong, but the way I was picturing it in the book is that she was paying to have a private carriage. So she was the only one in the carriage taking her all the way through. And instead here she's in the, she's in a carriage with a bunch of other people being taken through so 
I don't know. It's different than I was imagining in the book, but I'm not sure if I'm correct in my interpretation of the book. But my interpretation of it was that she was alone in the carriage. And so it was a private carriage that she had hired and was, you know, maybe changing carriages and getting new horses put to and that sort of thing, but a private carriage all the way, like her for herself only. And not, you know, traveling with a bunch of other people in like a public, like, Basically, I was interpreting it as a taxi, not a bus. But this is more looking like the bus than the taxi in the movie version. So I'm not sure if they added, if they changed that to make it more distressing for her. And more dramatic. Um, or if my interpretation is wrong. But I think that this is a change from the book, at least my reading of it. And you see her in the morning making it back home again. And all her siblings are out in the yard playing and see her coming. And again, this, she shows up in this little cart, um, which is not, again, what I imagined. I thought she had a private carriage that took her all the way. But this interpretation is that she was taking, like, the post, which is more, instead of, like I said, like, the ta it's the bus more than the taxi. So she takes the public carriage that's more, like, on a, on a specific route and then when she got off the quote-unquote bus that's on that public route, then she had to hire a private cart to take her the rest of the way home versus having that private carriage that would take her all the way there in the first place. So especially because in the book I remember them talking about how she's in like the, the carriage that comes up is a traveling carriage and we don't see that many and then it comes into the vicarage and so they're all excited to see who it was that doesn't match with this picture I'm seeing of just of her coming home in this little cart not a big traveling carriage so uh, yeah I think I am sticking I think my interpretation is correct you know if I'm wrong somebody I'm sure can let me know but I think that they changed the carriage situation to make it more I don't know dramatic and mean-spirited in a way that maybe her being alone in the carriage and getting through would not have presented possibly I'm not sure but I that's that's kind of the interpretation I'm taking from this and so she's made it home and then time passes forward because now the either the Allens have come to their house or maybe they're at the Allens house unclear um, but they're talking about the situation which is something that they definitely didn't in the book although they add the line of has he you know has he written has he offered any kind of explanation of Mr. Tilney when she's trying to defend him and say it was all the general's fault so if they're asking about a letter um, I'm assuming that a good amount of time has passed for them to have any sort of expectation of a letter happening at least a couple days I would assume so we're assuming that we've fast-forwarded a little bit here to this scene. But of course the answer is that no, he has not written a letter. And then they add this scene where she's talking about the Abbey with her, all her little siblings. Which is cute. It's sweet. They ask about ghosts and things. And then they add that she cries to her mother about how she loves Mr. Tilney. And that is definitely added in because... It's kind of sarcastically stated in the book that her parents don't get why she's so upset. And they don't understand and they're not 
they're not getting it and they're worried that she is her mother specifically is worried that she's showing some moral failings in not being happy at home now that she's seen how the rich people the other half live and so she's going to get her some moral like sermons to read about how you need to be happy in your own circumstance and not wish to be richer than you are um so this turn of events where her mom un does understand that she's in love with Mr. Tilney and Catherine admits that and cries about it is definitely a different take on it. It's a little more humanizing. I think, in all honesty, maybe a little more realistic. Um, but I think Jane Austen was trying to be a little more sarcastic about it and not uh, not not having her parents think about the fact that their 17-year-old daughter might be in love um, considering that's what teenage girls love to do, is fall in love. It's a very stereotypical thing, so for her parents not to have any notion of it, I think Jane Austen was kind of laughing and found that to be funny. But instead they're going for more of a tender moment here, with a big hug from her mother as she's crying about how she's never going to see Mr. Tilney again. So, a little variation on it. Not quite what the book says. But sweet. And more time is passing because it's at least the next day when we have the next scene where she's outside teaching one of her little brothers to read, it looks like, or at least practicing reading with him. When Mr. Tilney shows up on his horse. And it is super cute. <laughs> they have the... She sends the her younger sisters, two of the sisters are out playing in the yard, and she sends them to go tell her mother that Mr. Tilney is here. And they both in unison look at each other and go, Mr. Tilney! And um, she has to send them on their way and she sends her brothers off as well. Sends all the kids scampering into the house. And then she and Mr. Tilney have a little conversation. Which is also not really from the book. Because it's going back to her whole... Th her apologizing for thinking that, her that the general killed... Mrs. Tilney and him kind of brushing it off and then going into this explanation about how the general was cruel to his mother and like drained the life out of her and kind of adding a little bit more to that backstory which again I think it's this I keep saying this for this movie it's making things more explicit that were more implicit in the book so in the book I think it's implied that the general was not necessarily the best of husbands, that he is hard. You know, it is known that he, with his children, at least, he's hard to live with and he's very demanding and controlling. So I would expect him to be similar with his wife. So I think it's implied that their marriage might have been a rough one. But here, Henry's laying it out as they're watching, they watched their father like drained the life out of their mother because she thought he loved her but he didn't and he just married her for the money um which is sad um but it's an added backstory that again i'm not sure we needed and i don't know that i kind of like the way that they dealt with this situation in the book better that it was she was very upset about it. She cried for a couple hours and then she came to dinner and everything was fine. And then they moved on and we don't talk about it anymore because it was just a little passing fancy thing. I don't, I feel like this movie is trying to make the fact that she had this like 
overwrought imagination for a little bit about the general into this huge thing that it really wasn't in the book. At least not in the way I wrote it, read it. Like, I didn't see it as being that big a deal. Like, it was very quickly dealt with and over. And here they're, like, dragging it on and on. And first she cries to Miss Tilney about it. And then she thinks she's being sent out of the house because of it. And now she's crying. And then she cries to her mom about how she's never going to see Mr. Tilney again. And now she's crying to Mr. Tilney about how sorry she is about what she said. And it's just a little melodramatic for, in a way that Jane Austen usually is not. So not quite feeling that part of it but then one of the sisters comes back and very sassily tells Catherine that she's supposed to bring mr tilney into the drawing room and then cut to he's sitting in the drawing room drinking what looks like it might be lemonade and looking very uncomfortable with a bunch of children seated all around staring at him so he quickly apologizes and then says that he'd like to go pay his respects to the Allens and asks if Catherine can show him the way. And one of the younger sisters is like, but you can see it from the window. And, and Mrs. Moreland, her mom, is, hush, Lucy, let her go. Which I think is funny. It's a cute scene. Again, not a real, I don't, not a moment, but from the book, but cute and fun and he does definitely ask her to go show him to the Moreland or to the Allen's house so that he can get some a moment alone with alone with her so that works as far as from the text and then it cuts to them walking through a garden presumably towards Mr. and Mrs. Allen's house and explaining how Mr. Thorpe had lied to the general that Catherine was much richer than she was. He said that she was Mr. and Mrs. Allen's heiress and then made Mr. Allen much richer than he actually was. And so she was turned out of the house because she wasn't as rich when he found out about her money. She was not as rich as he had originally thought her to be and that made him very, very mad. And then she's continuing to still apologize about this whole situation where she was imagining that maybe the general killed his wife I'm kind of over it I feel like they need to stop talking about it but Catherine keeps apologizing and Henry's like no it's not your fault at all he's kind of I think in my mind like still on my side of this like yeah stop it Catherine that has nothing to do with this moving along but then it actually breaks from the text a bit because he says that he is broken with his father. And then he says that he loves her in a very sweet way. Um, and he explains that he might be disinherited from his father. He's not sure. He might never talk to his father again. He doesn't know, but he asks her to marry him. And she says yes, and they kiss, and it is very sweet. And then the narrator comes back with direct text from the end of the book about how entering perfect happiness at the respective ages of 26 and 18 was pretty good. And then it jumps forward not to their wedding, but right along to the christening of their first child. So we are moving right along time-wise. And then the explanation that somehow Eleanor's beloved 
entered to it, got a title. And so they were allowed to get married. And they leave, and then with that moral thing at the end of the book, I leave it to the reader to decide whether the tendency of this story be to recommend parental tyranny or reward filial disobedience. And so the ending does break a bit from the ending of the book, where, of course, the Henry does ask Catherine to marry him, but her parents refuse to sanction the marriage until the general agrees. And so they wait a while, and then Eleanor gets married to a titled man kind of out of nowhere, and that puts the general in such a good mood that he is moved to that Henry can be a fool if he likes it. Um, and so is willing to somewhat is willing to sanction the matter or sanction the marriage enough to allow them to be married, and that's the end of the book. So they changed it around a little bit that in both adaptations really that Henry just asks her to marry him and they move forward with getting married without waiting for the general to approve. And they're both basically kind of on the assumption that the general may never approve of this whole marriage and that Henry is cut off from his father in this case, um, which is not what the book has in store. And I think has more to do with a modern audience and our sensibilities of the sort of situation and parental control than the at the time I think that would have been a very shocking way to end it to completely cut ties like he said and maybe never see his father again I think that would have been a much more shocking thing to do back then than it would be now um and so I think that it is a more over-the-top sort of romantic ending to say that they basically got married immediately, whether or not the general was into it <laughs> or accepted it. So the ending's a little different. And I just went through this whole movie nitpicking all the little differences that it had. But my overall thoughts are that I do think it was actually pretty true to the book and at least the feel of the book um the biggest differences i would say are more are mostly about the timeline is that they scrunched everything up to where in the book you've got i don't know four to six weeks happening in bath and then another month in northanger abbey versus the movie where it seems to be a week or two in Bath, and then, like, a matter of days in Northanger Abbey. It just feels like things are moving much faster in the movie version. Um, and they definitely condense things so there are less balls and things are kind of smushed. Events are kind of smushed together, um, which I think makes sense in an adaptation like this. It's not a miniseries where you have six hours. It was, you know, an hour and a half movie that I have talked about for more than an hour and a half, I think. So my commentary on it is longer than the movie itself. I thought that doing it this way might make it a shorter episode, but instead I think it made it much longer because I apparently had quite a bit to say. Um, so apologies for how long this was because I just kept rambling and had to talk about every scene, but I don't know what to cut out. 
and I like to talk about every little bit and I like nitpicking every little piece of it so if you didn't like the nitpicking I apologize but it is my way and it is my nature to do so so hopefully somebody enjoyed the nitpicking I had fun doing it Comparing the two versions, I definitely think I enjoy the 2007 Masterpiece PBS version over the 86 version that I talked about last week. Um, it felt like, I think, I didn't even really talk about hair and clothing in this one, and I didn't because I just felt like the hair and clothing kind of just worked. It felt right. It felt appropriate for what I'm used to in a period piece it felt right for like kind of a modern aesthetic I suppose of a period piece versus the 86 one felt very 80s especially like in the hair but the clothes too like it just didn't f that's why I think I brought it up last time is that there it felt wrong to me in certain cases I thought Catherine's hair was real bad at certain points and I didn't feel that in this 2007 version I felt like their costumes and hair just were better. I liked, I felt like it was more appropriate to the time frame and I just enjoyed it more. So there is that. I definitely think I liked the 2007 version over the 86 version. Um, and I don't think it's just because it's newer because when I talk about adaptations of other novels, I don't always like the newest one the best. But I think the newer one did keep in more important pieces of the story and showed more of the innocence of Catherine. Well, the Catherine in the 86 version is pretty dang innocent too, though, so I'm not sure. But I definitely feel like the, the overall vibe and feeling of it, I preferred the 2007 version. And visually, especially at the Abbey, how, like, over-the-top gothic and ruinous the Abbey felt in the 86 version was just didn't work for me. I definitely preferred the Abbey of the 2007, which was more along the lines of what they were talking about in the book, where it felt relatively comfortable and modern inside. And not quite so medieval. Because this is not a medieval piece. So my overall, after all of this, is that for me the 2007 version wins. Though it is not perfect. And you've heard me talk for a couple hours now about all my nitpicky things that I didn't like. But there are definitely pieces, parts that are good. And entertaining and good adaptations and I like a lot of the conversations that they took from the book and put right on the screen I always enjoy those conversations that they leave in like that and I think it was a really fun movie I think that despite all my nitpicks it was good and that is my overall finding for it so if anyone has actually made it through this mess of me talking about a movie for longer than the movie actually takes to watch, so it would be quicker for you to just watch the movie, but, you know, maybe somebody watched my commentary of it anyway.
I or listened to my commentary. You wouldn't watch my commentary. And me rambling like this is just making this longer. So sorry. But if anyone made it through all of this and has any anything to add or anything that you feel differently about or anything that you feel like I got wrong or misinterpreted, please let me know. My email is imolcorner at gmail.com. That's in my own little corner. imolcorner at gmail.com. And I will see you all later. Hopefully that you've enjoyed our time with Northanger Abbey. I plan to come back next time with Persuasion, which is the last novel of Jane Austen's that I have not personally read. It was published at the same time as Northanger Abbey. So Northanger Abbey and Persuasion were the last two of her novels to be published. So I think it seems like a fitting place to go next. So I will see you there. Bye.